Here we go. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia. You are now live from the Midnight Circus. This is Lahamadu, and I've got a great show for you today. Today, our featured artist is Sarah B. She's got a brand new release out. We'll be listening to tracks from that. And of course, we'll be talking with Sarah B at the top of the hour. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Now, this is the voice of Indie Blues. This is the show that brings you nothing but currently touring artists who are out there creating new, original music rooted in the blues. We embrace the diversity of music that always has and still is being created from those roots. Now, if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingascene.org. We got some great articles, CD reviews, artist interviews, and so much more. In the meantime, I have got some great new music I know you're going to love, and some great new artists I can't wait to introduce you to. And of course, I aim to misbehave.
can't compare Take one.
Crazy things we did out in the park Way after dark Sharing a life and a laugh Now he's a ghost from the past So it goes So it goes One more One Night we were drinking a lot He drove away Like it or not Left me behind Wouldn't change his mind Never will forget the day Watching this truck Drive away So it goes So it goes I said one more For the road He said, yeah 
I should have never let you go I feel the guilt deep down inside I feel the shame deep in my brain I feel the pain He crashed in the rain Gone in the prime of his life Two little kids in a way So it goes So it goes One more One more So it goes So it goes I said one more For the road He said yeah You no longer have to hear the blues in a smoke-filled nightclub on the edge of town. It's a pleasant environment, but uh, but in the 21st century, uh, you know, you don't even have to leave the couch. Just turn on the TV and commercials or as theme songs, you will see and hear the blues are everywhere. I'm Elwood.
that's what you want It ain't fair to no one It ain't fair to our hearts No more lying from both of us And secrecy I don't wanna lose you, baby You're too important to me Close to the sun, it might hurt you. Such a beautiful soul, gone too soon. With a big open heart, from the earth to the moon. I'm gonna miss you, Katie. And I'll always love you Let me show you
know she's not in pain And I know she won't feel insane And I know she's at the pearly gates, baby And I know I want one Mm-hmm.
Here's the blues scale. Now you sing it with me. Breathe. Now let's try it like this.
train wait until the clock strikes twelve. She's a midnight lover. I can't wait till the clock strikes twelve. It's the only time. That her husband is not there He works all night And my wife is home all day Get me killed But at midnight I'm on my way He works all night And my wife is home all day And the little wife is home all day. Well, you surely gonna get me killed. Cause at midnight, I'm on my way.
she said, baby, you're coming in too late. She said, before you think that I'm a fool, beware of what you're gonna do.
The moment you realize, how could there possibly be this many blues?
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here is an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Sarah B. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, ooh. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was born in a river town. Thirty miles north of the mouth, where the river meets the sea, converging in the sound. In his home, it was Etta James, Bobby Dylan, and Marvin Gaye. The first song that he ever. 
Pardon me, left unbroken. Now I see a pattern 
Sarah B on the line right now. Hey, Sarah B, how are you today? I am great. Uh, thank you so much for uh, this interview. This is this is awesome. I'm doing great tonight. Cool. Sitting here in Mississippi. All right. <laughs> now, um, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to give our fans this opportunity to get to know an artist. And the best way to do that is through your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us mm-hmm. the story of Sarah B. Well, the story of uh, Sarah B is, uh, I always say, born on Saturday, singing on Sunday, because um, it's about the truth. Um, I grew up uh, in a, uh, I'm the youngest of five kids, and uh, my dad was a preacher and an evangelist, and uh, we traveled around all over the United States, and we did tent revivals and um, churches. Um, we had a go- it was a gospel family band, so I grew up doing gospel music. And um, my sister actually was the piano player at that time before I started playing. I started playing when I was about five. Then I went to the Hammond, Oregon, and started playing the the B three. Um, and my brothers were my musicians, and um, and my dad was my guitar player. Um, my mom's a singer-songwriter, so uh, we are very musical, the whole entire family. Um, I um, 
I started singing in church, I would say, probably when I was about four. And uh, I was so little and the, that for the congregation to see me, they'd stand me up on top of the, uh, the altar bench where, you know, it was almost like a little higher than the platform, I guess, at church. And they would stand me up there in front of everybody. And I started singing when I was about four. And then I started playing the, the radio buttons in the car on the way home because I would see this girl playing at church on the piano. And uh, it was the pastor's daughter, actually. And, uh, she, would, she just looked so uh, elegant and beautiful. And the way she played and she swayed. And so when we'd get back in the car on our way back um, to our house, it was at the time when it was the push buttons, you know, on the radio. And I'd sit up front between my mom and dad. And they'd have, like, Andre Crouch playing back. Okay, I'm gonna tell my age now. The eight track, I remember the sticking in that eight track and like pressing them buttons, and and playing the playing the buttons all the way home. And my dad, he just saw that, and uh, you know, and then I'd get home and I'd put tape on the coffee table and I'd, you know, start playing the the white tape on the black coffee table like it was the black and white keys. And so he finally came home one day. I'll never forget it. it was an upright Franklin uh, green. Uh, piano that he'd gotten at a yard sale and uh the day that he got that piano i just started going to town on it and started right i think it was probably within a month i I wrote a song on it and uh our my first talent show in the fourth grade in poplarville mississippi i won uh first place with a song that i wrote on it so so when i say born on saturday singing on sunday i truly was born into a musical family and uh and uh I, you know, started singing at a very young age, and uh, really, I uh, don't think I ever really had a choice. It was just, you know, something that was a natural, honest thing, you know, uh, just being around, being around the music all the time. And I think for my parents, because they were musicians when they met, um, that the church was also like a platform for the a platform for them to be able to do their music, especially in the uh, Pentecostal religion, where music and praise and worship is is a huge part of um, the services and and the music, um, you know, the Hammond organs and the drums and and so it's a, it's a big big part of of the ministry is is the music. So um, so at a very young age, um, I learned how to groove and I learned how to play the drums and play the piano and play the Hammond organ. I play a little bit of steel guitar. My dad plays steel guitar. Um, I write a lot of my songs on the acoustic guitar. Um, and then I will, you know, transpose that to the piano when I get to the piano. But I like to write on the guitar as well as the piano because, uh, you know, you just get a different vibe when you're, when you're writing on the guitar from the piano. And I think because I'm very comfortable as a piano player, that's my main instrument. The fact that I really don't know my way around the guitar, it's interesting because the songs, I would say, on the guitar are a little bit more um, bassy and, you know, uh, more, um, I would say, uh, the storyteller, I would say more about the song and the story. And then on the piano, I would say it's more about my feeling and my emotion. But um, but anyway, so yeah, I started playing and singing uh, at a very young age in church, and my dad was amazing, and him and my mother both, they just really um, loved music, and I guess in a way, uh, we became, their children became their family band, and uh, and then I think years and years later, my mom, I think, and dad kind of lived vicariously through, through my music and me traveling, and uh so anyway, yeah, I grew up in uh, Mississippi, but traveled all over 
lived in London, lived in New York, lived in California, and uh, had lots of major record deals, I think five. Uh, and uh, I feel like the prodigal daughter, like I came back home a few years ago and uh, and I, I just kind of like took a break and, and, uh, and I feel, I guess in a way, like the Robert Johnson story, you know, where they say he disappeared for a while and when he left, he wasn't that great. And then he came back. Uh, not saying that I'm great, but I feel like that I came back and I mean, I didn't sell my soul to the devil or anything, but I feel like I came back knowing more, like coming back to your roots. So it looks like a evolution and then a, a devolution where you evolve, but then you devolve right back. But yet it's kind of like, wish I would have known then what I know now. And, but the fact that, you know, I am where I'm at. I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like this is where I need to be. I'm, I'm right where I need to be. Okay. At, at this time in my life with my music. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little long winded there. No, 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 not at all. Now let's talk a little bit about the new release. Um, what was your goal for this? What were you looking to achieve? You know, I I don't think that I was really looking to achieve anything other than I I was forced with my creativity. It was during COVID, and I'm sure you've heard a, a couple of you know stories like this because I, I know a lot of I've talked to a lot of musicians and and that um, you know I think before the lockdown and before you know all of the venues and the the clubs and the arena started shutting down. Um, you know, we were, I think a lot of musicians that I talked to were, um, you know, I guess you can get a little, especially if you're a working musician and you're out there doing a little bit of, you know, original and second, uh, a pop and cover stuff. And, you know, you're trying to pay the bills. I think you kind of get stuck in this like complacent, uh, place in your life where you get comfortable and you're, you know, you're paying the bills, you're, pay, you're working, you know, five, six nights a, well, for me, I was working the piano bars down on Bourbon Street and in New Orleans, and it was like sometimes three shifts a day, and you, it, you know, I appreciate the work, but I think it kind of robs you as an artist and as a songwriter, kind of, you know, because you, you become so involved in, in entertaining, you know, the, the crowd, and, you know, when you're doing that, when you're doing dueling piano, I mean, you're like, you know, you're hoping someone just bring $20 and put it on a post-it and write down their favorite song. And, and hopefully you know it. And if not, then you better go to the bathroom and learn it <laughs> at least uh, on your break and come back and do it, especially if, you know, they're, they're paying for it. But um, I just think a lot of people, you know, during the, before COVID, a lot of the musicians that I've talked to, like I said, I feel like they, they, I was very comfortable, and even though I was a little, you know, I was disappointed that I wasn't wasn't doing my own music and out there selling my records like I used to. Um, you know, I think as artists, we we get stuck sometimes in a rut, and it it takes something to trigger, you know, that that creative groove again. And for me, um, it was COVID, you know, and, and being forced, like I said, with my creativity again, you know, I was stuck in the house and, um, I'm living with my elderly parents right now. And, um, of course I had to be extremely careful because at that time, you know, we didn't know what was going on and I didn't want to bring any kind of, you know, um, back to them. And, um, 
you know, any um, of the the COVID that was going on. You know, like I said, nobody really knew what was going on at that time. And so here I am stuck in Keel, Mississippi in the house. And um, I've got the piano. I've got the guitars. I've got, you know, all these amazing. My dad's got this place full of instruments and got a 1930 Franklin grand piano here. And um, I just started writing, got back on my music and just started writing like crazy. And then I had a lot of other songs that, you know, just as a writer, I write all the time, you know, and, um, and I was talking to a friend, John O'Tan. He called me during the, during the whole COVID time. And, um, it was early on, right after we had lost a lot of the gigs. And uh, he's a piano player, actually, too. And he would book me a lot down in New Orleans. Um, but he called me and, you know, basically kind of just to check in on me. And uh, he's like, how are you? And I was like, actually, John, I'm writing. I'm writing like crazy. I'm on the piano. And I said, I wish I was back in Nashville, you know, because when I lived in Nashville, I, I had so many friends who own studios and I mean I could go to the studio at one in the morning I called my friends who are engineers and we just if I had an idea you know go lay it down and I said I wish I was I wish I had that here because right now I'm writing like crazy you know I'm putting it all in my iPhone and I've got my little Yamaha digital recorder I'm recording some stuff in and I said that oh I would just love to go in right now and just lay down some songs and he said well you know you have that and I went wait what do you mean? And he goes, you know, I have a studio, Sarah, an amazing studio. And I went, yeah, you do. I can, I, I remember you telling me about that. And he's like, well, you are more than welcome. No one, no one's booking. Everyone's scared to get out. He's like, you're more than welcome to come to the studio and try it out. Come do a few songs. He said, I'll give you a week and just get yours and just vibe and see how you like it. And the engineer, Mark, will be there. And uh, so I went in and recorded uh, two songs, actually. The first song was Bayou Baby, and um, the second song was Tennessee. And I called drummer Eric Bolivar and, uh, out of New Orleans, Cassandra Faulkner, bass player, Dave Easley, still guitar player, and Nick Meekase. Those are the four that I started with. And I said, hey, let's go in the studio. And they're like, we're down. You know, they everybody was available. You know, that was the blessing and in the whole horrible situation. But so we went in there and we recorded Bayou Baby in Tennessee. And when I heard the, the rough mix back, um, we, and I recorded it live on the piano. Um, we did a, with the band around me and, you know, everybody had on their mask and we were in our cubicles and with our headphones on, but we cut it live and, uh, we did like one, you know, basically take like two or three different takes. I think we, wound up doing like three takes of each song and we choose the best one that we musically all kind of felt was the strongest. And, uh, when I heard them back, I just, I called John and I just said, I want to do a whole entire record. I said, I've got all these songs. I think I went in with 26. We cut like 21 and then we had to edit that down to 14 and I couldn't, I couldn't get down anymore. I kept trying to say no, but I need probably just 12. And, and, um, I, it was hard for me to part with any more. Um, and so anyway, uh, that, that's sort of how it happened. And then uh, when I knew I was going to go in and do the, the entire record, and I wasn't really even calling it an album. I was just going in and doing this batch of songs. And I called um, Shane Terrio, guitar player out of New Orleans, 
who is actually Hollow Notes um, music director, and he is the uh, music director for the um, at Daryl's house. If you ever watched that show with Daryl Hall? Oh yeah. And uh, he's usually you could never even get this guy. He's so busy. He's when he's not on the road with Hollow Notes, he's on the road with Train. But he was he was free. <laughs> he was free and clear, and he's like. Hell yeah, I, I'm not doing anything right now, you know. It's like, you know, I'm in the studio, I've got some things coming up, but right now I am free, you know, we're not working, I don't have any gigs. He's, he act, happened to be in New Orleans, which is where he's from, he was home, because so, usually he's out in, in L.A. or New York. But um, so he, um, him and I got together when I knew that we were going to go back in, and uh, we sat down and we we got together for three, like two or three days, and we wrote out all the charts to the songs, and uh, he helped me with that. And basically, he was kind of my music director, and he helped uh, he helped me with the band, um, kind of reel them in, and and uh, it, it was amazing, and. We just had such a blast. It was it was such a beautiful time in the studio. Even you know it was a dark time in in our world. Um, it was a beautiful healing time in, in the studio for us. And then my mother was going through a lot of um, sickness and physical things, and it was a way also I think you know for me to to heal and have an outlet you know. Um, and so that's that's where the whole hummingbird tea um, came from. Uh, when when I uh, named it, I didn't know what I was going to name it until I was done with it. But I had heard uh, one of my mother's nurses, she said, uh, boy, your mama really likes that hummingbird tea, doesn't she? And I said, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, that's what we call it when it's real sweet. That's what my grandma called it anyway. And I said, that's interesting. I said, I, I've never heard of it referred to as that, but I, I love that. And uh, And it was a little while later, I was just thinking about, you know, the album and, how much it had done for all of us musicians and, and for me. And and at this time in my life, it was, a, you know, kind of very therapeutic and healing for me. And uh, I was thinking about the bird, you know, the hummingbird and it traveling when it, when it migrates to Mexico. And by the time it gets there, it's half dead. And there's these amazing plants and flowers there for them that revive them. And um, so for me, the, the hummingbird tea, you know, during this time was, a medicinal thing for me it's almost like you know fuel soul fuel or something you know so uh that's kind of how that's how this record happened and honestly i i never had any intentions of just going in and and making an album you know to to get some big record deal you know i i wasn't sure i just as an artist as a writer as a creator i i had to do it there was no choice and so it was coming out and like i said i was forced to face my uh my talent again and and it's you know it's been amazing and like i said i've i've had big deals before and so you know it's like i've i kind of went mia for a minute and i wasn't i was busy i mean i i did two other albums in between the time of having the last record deal that i'd had with sony and doug morris but i just never released them i sat out on i sat on them i didn't know what to do at that time it was just so hard to to kind of like figure it all out and get back out there and, and wonder what made sense, you know? And so I would sell them at my shows, but I never released them to the public as far as, you know, iTunes and Spotify and the digital streams and downloads. Um, so I'm kind of sitting right now on three albums, honestly, um, that I feel like the world should hear and my fans. and uh, Well, my fans here locally have heard them because I would sell them at my shows, but 
I would love for, you know, all of my new fans to hear some of the older music, too. So we plan on, Rabbit Ash Records and me, plan on actually releasing um, all of my music. Okay. Um, but right now we are definitely focused on, on Hummingbird Tea. And um, it, the way it came about, like I said, it was just a beautiful thing. And once I heard the, you know, the album and I'm sitting in the studio and figuring it all out, like I said, there was so many. But then as the more and more we were mixing, I could kind of hear the ones that I really felt like hung together as a collection. And so, you know, it kind of just went from that to, hey, let's put it out. Oh, I've got a distributor. You know, John's like, well, you know, I've got a distributor, and you know, I've got a label, and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. So that's kind of how it happened. Okay. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about your process as a songwriter. Um, when you sit down to begin to write, what what is your mechanism that allows you to kind of tap into your muse? You know, Richard, it really it really depends. Um, you know, a lot of times it will be in conversations like you and I are having right now, where maybe you would, will trigger something, you'll say something. Um, I know a lot of times in conversations, you know, I'll, I'll say, Oh, look, stop, hold on, let me write that down. Or let me put that, or, or, or I'll even tell a friend, text me that, <laughs> text me what you just said. You know, so sometimes it, it comes from an idea of something like that. Um, and I would say that's more of the formula songs that come where, they're really structured and you're really thinking about them in the way that Nashville um, music is and um, where, you know, you can, you can already hear what, what the hook should be. And, you know, um, and I, I think that's one way of writing and I'm, and I'm good at that. But I think for me, my favorite songs are the ones that, that kind of come through emotion of, maybe, you know, fill in the blues or, you know, something personal going on in your life and and uh, whether it's, uh, you know, heartbreak or, you know, uh, a lot of times, too, I'll write uh, music from a from a point of my life, from a place maybe of, of heartbreak. Um, and then as I write it, I kind of mesh in the whole formula I say Nashville writing, um, where I know that the the listener can relate, you know, because a lot of times I'll write a song about something very specific to me, but then I'll write it in a way so that when the listener hears it, they think it might be about a love relationship or something. And actually it might be about the music industry or it might be about, um, you know, uh, my, my mom or, or God or... But I always try to write so that if you're the listener, that it it can it can um, you can relate to it and make it your own as well. But I would say, you know, it comes in different ways, you know. And um, a lot of times, I, I'm a night owl. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of nocturnal. I'll be up at, on my piano, and I actually have a part of the house where I, I had my dad put some doors up. So I shut the door so no one can hear uh, the piano. And I'll be on the piano at 3 in the morning. And that, to me, sometimes is just when the spirit hits me. And I'm vibing. And, uh, you know, musically, it, it, the words and the music will just come together and the melody. And to me, those are probably the special songs, you know, that kind of come from a place that 
you can't help but write it because it's just pouring out of your soul. But then again, you know, like I said, there are those ideas that come from conversations and you get ideas of storylines and little hooks and, oh, yeah, oh, that would be, you know, that'll, that'll preach. We always say that in church. Um, my dad used to say that. But, like, you know, that that's a, that, that's a heater, you know. So I think, you know, there's different ways of writing. And I, I would say for this Hummingbird album, it's a it would be a mix-up um, because there are some songs on the album that that were born from from that heartbreak and or from you know raw emotion and then there's some that sitting down with uh jason steadley the co-writer on some of the songs on the record where maybe i had an idea was almost finished and then i took it to him and he would close it or he had an idea and he'd bring it to me and you know we'd work on it together and we'd sit and figure it out and oh you know think of all the clever lines to say so you know there's something to be said for both Okay. Now, you know, I always find uh, lyrics and melody to be kind of two different parts of the brain uh, where lyrics are very structured. You got a story, continuity, rhyme, meter, all of those, you know, structural elements. But melody is a little different. Some songwriters like to work off of uh, just a groove, you know, a rhythmic feel. Others like to have a chord structure. And then you know, there are others who take the lyric and the cadence kind of dictate where the melody should go. What is kind of your go-to when you look for the melodic ideas of your songs? You know, it. a lot of times I'll, hum, I'll be humming, you know, humming things that, you know, I'm trying to find the right uh, rhythm. And I would say a lot of times... Uh, especially why I like writing on the guitar is it's very percussive. And I think, I think the melodies that, um, you know, sometimes I will get on a guitar, even if I'm writing on the piano, just to find more of a percussive kind of melody that I would, that I would do differently on a guitar than I would on a piano. I tend to be more gospel and bluesy on the piano. And I think on the guitar, I, I, I lean more towards more of a country kind of folk singer songwriter um vibe and also sometimes though with the like i said very percussive you know i do um i would say i write more up-tempo stuff on the guitar because of the the you know the strumming and the you know how you can it's very percussive instrument but so is a piano but it i just i think for me the melody a lot of times just it comes with the lyrics for me like as i'm writing it you know it kind of it comes out and the lyrics and the melody come together and then I'll go back and tweak the lyric, you know, to make it, you know, a little more sophisticated or, or final. And, um, but a lot for, for me, the most of the time it, it kind of comes together. Um, and, and there've been, you know, there've been times when people would send me tracks, you know, other producers or musicians who wanted me to write to the, you know, top line, their songs. And, and that, uh, of course, you know, here in the music, you know, will give you all kinds of different melody ideas um, once you start hearing different chords and changes, you know, in the song, different melody lines of the music that, you know, you, you feed on and dance with. Um, so it, it comes, you know, it comes in different ways. But for me, I would say the most, the majority of my songs when I'm writing by myself, it, it kind of comes out together, the melody and, and the lyrics. Okay. And then I'll tweak later. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I, a lot of songwriters struggle with um, is that moment where you have to, 
declare the song finished and and move it on to the production phase where you give it to the producer, the the musicians, the band, and allow them to kind of put their fingerprints on it. What is your quantifier that you like to use to kind of determine when a song is ready to move to that next phase? Um... At first, I was I thought you were going to say when you know it's a good song or whether it should even continue. A lot of times, like as far as when you write a song, like the next day that I think it was, uh, I think it was Paul McCartney said, "If you if you don't wake up singing it the next morning, then don't even worry about it." And so a lot of times I say that I'm like, "Oh, did I wake up singing it the next day?" So that's when you know if you do wake up singing it the next day that you've got a great melody. But as far as like the song being done, you know, it's hard to say. Because there, you know, there's something to be said about, like, if I were to play you some of the demos, um, the early demos of some of these songs, even on the Hummingbird Key, um, there are a few friends of mine that are like, wow, like, we like this amazing just piano version of this song before you took it in there and, and did all this, you know, put the put the band with him, you know, so... I guess it just kind of depends on what kind of record you're going for. You know, if you're, if you're doing a more stripped down, um, intimate record, or if you're, you know, going into the studio to do a big production, or if you've got, um, programmers who are going to be programming tracks around it, you know, so, um, it can be done at, at many stages, a song. And I would say for me, when I really know when it's done, is when I perform it live for an audience and I play it out live and feel, you know, the audience feedback and, and, um, knowing, you know, like when I go and perform the song live, then it feels like, you know, this is probably how I need to, to do this, try to get it as close to this in the studio. Um, because to me, you know, my live show, um, is is for me that's that's where it's at for me because i've been performing live since i was a kid and i have i have had an issue you know with in recording in the studio for a long time now for years of just finding the right producer to capture that sound and a lot of times you know we would be you know recording these songs and they would say they were done and they found it amazing, but then I'd go out and perform them live and then people would buy the record. And then the, the feedback was always, well, we like the record. It's really good, but wow, we love the live version way better. So I guess in a way too, this, the hummingbird tea for me was finally being able to do an album without the interruptions of a lot of the politics of the music business and the labels and you know, the big producers, and it was uh, total, like, uh, artist freedom that I had and artistic freedom in the studio, and, and it was an amazing thing. And I would say, like, I really knew, I really knew that when they, that, and that's the thing, too, is you got to know when they are done, you got to you gotta know it, and you got to make that decision because a lot of times artists, we're, we're fluid and we won't stop and we'll keep messing with them and messing with them until we overdo it. And, you know, we can go back in there and do all these background harmonies and, 
you know, overdubs on guitars or, oh, I hear this now or I hear that. And a lot of times I think your first instincts um, are usually right. And I've, I've come to this place in my music now where I feel like I go in and then I try out all these ideas, but I wind up kind of stripping it back to the more organic how it was in the first week, usually anyway. And so... A lot of times you can just you can met you can mess up a good thing by you know overthinking it. So, um, you know, I guess for me, um, just just being able to to sit back and feel it and and relate to the song and and still feel like the original way that I wrote that song, you know. But in a way, but try to put it in a in a vehicle in a path a, a package, you know that that uh you know if you're especially if you're going for a certain market you know you want it to sound you know a certain a certain way but um so i don't know if i answered your question if that makes sense i don't know no no you did very very well now uh once you of course once all this gets recorded and put together you have to get it out of course to radio and and pr and and press and and kind of create the buzz and you're working with Jill Kettles um, to do your PR and radio. Tell me a little bit about how that relationship began. Well, Jill works with me. Um, Rabbit Dash Records did a, a, a released a Christmas song on me about three years ago, and uh, that was my first introduction to her. And um, they hired her. John hired her to do uh, the publicity and PR. And, uh, we, we talked, you know, then we talked a little bit, but she was just really doing the, the promotion and the PR on the one song. So it was a short, a short lived little relationship, you know, where we talked back and forth. I think we had, we talked the first time I talked to her on the phone, you know, I'm pretty long winded, like my dad's preaching. So I think it was like a four hour conversation. Uh, so that was great. But then we didn't really stay in touch until, once we did the Hummingbird album and I told John that I wanted to work with her again and he was using her for some other projects that he was doing. And so we got together and, uh, she helped me, you know, start working on, um, all of the bio and the, uh, you know, the, the album and, and just all of the PR and, you know, the press release. I think we, we spent a lot of time just working on that press release together and, one of the really cool things I liked about her um, that she gave me a really um, a great uh, look into my songs, almost like I was dissecting them, was she said, I need you to write these song descriptions for, you know, she's like a lot of times when I send, you know, the package to, you know, to radio or to the magazines or to the journalists, and they want to read what, you know, they want to see in words what, you're, what the song means to you. And um, in in a crazy way, like I'd never really done that before. I'd been signed to these major labels, and I feel like I never kind of got this one on one that I have now, like with this boutique label and having this publicist who's also like she's like everything to me now. She's amazing. Like she's wearing so many hats. Like she's become in a way like my best friend. You know, we we shop on Poshmark together. She'll get the same jacket. Or like, oh no, I want to get that one. Don't get that one. But we've become like very close just um, just through talking about it because she she you get she's got to know me so well because you know as I'm writing these song descriptions and we're writing my bio you know and 
you know, telling her, you know, she's finding out so much about me. But when I sat down to write the song descriptions, um, it was very therapeutic for me because a lot of times, you know, as writers, we'll, we'll write the song and we, we don't return to it unless, you know, of course, and if we go and record it and put it on a, an album that we have to go out and perform for a year on tour, of course, you know, um, we live with it every day, but a lot of times, you know, I'll write a song and I'll be on to the next one and I'll, you know, I don't really think so much about it, but it was really therapeutic to sit down and, and think about, okay, where did, where was the song born from? You know, how did this, where, how did this happen? Why did I write these words? And as I'm, you know, dissecting these songs and writing the descriptions of what they meant, I found myself. I even told her, I'm like, man, I think I want to be a journalist because I love, I love writing about the writing. So it was like I found myself getting so in, into these, these descriptions where she called me back and she said, Sarah, I didn't say write an essay. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, I'd send her like 10 pages of uh, like what the song meant and let's break it. I was really breaking it down and it was a lot of fun. I would say that was probably my favorite part of when we were releasing this record, um, doing that with her. And at first I thought I wasn't going to like doing that. And, uh, cause it was a lot of, of work actually for me. And she's like, well, Sarah, it wouldn't have been a lot of work if you would have just, you know, written a little paragraph, but I couldn't do that. I had to, you know, I got all into it. And so I don't know if you've read the song descriptions, but I think you would enjoy it. Um, being a writer yourself, uh, as a musician and a, and a writer. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the song descriptions to me were were really fun, and um, I lo- I loved do- doing that. And Jill kind of you know, um, and she pushed that for me to do that. And so I think she's she's been great, and she's taught me a lot about um, how to relate to you know to my audience with as far as like you know with with writing um, you know little just like things like that you know and explaining specific things you know because as artists sometimes. We're, we're caught up in it and we just think that people are just supposed to get what that's about. And so, uh, so yeah, that was nice. But Jill has been great. She's very smart. Um, like we talked earlier before the interview, um, she worked under, um, this guy, Mark for a long time, who was very successful, uh, PR firm. And, um, and so I think she learned a lot from him and, but she's just, she's really great. I mean, she's, she's amazing. She's taught me a lot and she's become uh, a, a good friend and uh a confidant so he's great nice now um let's talk a little bit about the industry um you know we're coming out of this pandemic i mean live music is starting to work up again what is one of the biggest challenges that you're finding right now as an independent artist in this new world of um, the music industry today Um, well, you know, it's, it's just so different. Like today, as a matter of fact, I was driving home to come to the interview with you and find a quiet place. My friend in Miami texted me her son who he's a DJ and him and his partner, they have a, a duo called pool house. Um, and she just texted me and she said they got over a million streams. Um, and she sent it to me today. She's like, they have a million streams. And I went, 
oh wow that's pretty amazing you know and it's and then uh a few weeks ago my my niece was dating this guy who he said you know in college they they hung out i'm not going to say any names but and he was doing music in his in his dorm and he sent it to her and she'd be like oh yeah that was pretty cool and now all of a sudden somebody somebody put it on tiktok that the thing went viral and the guy's got millions, millions of streams. Uh, I can't even tell. I, I mean, I have to go on there and talk. It's so many followers, like, you know, like something like 100 million. And, and it's unbelievable because it's like I'm listening to some of this, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm like, it's, but it's, it's just you never know what someone's going to relate to, what one little thing might do, you know, like a, like. TikTok, for example, right now, there's so many people that, um, you know, are becoming famous and household names because of something that went viral on TikTok, whereas, you know, if that platform, uh, you know, wouldn't have been around years ago, I don't think, I don't, I mean, I, I think the art always has a way of coming out eventually, but I don't know, like, if some of these people that have all these millions of streams you know, they're very uh, lucky uh, that they're in a time, you know, I guess where something like that could just jump off. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I've been racking my brain. Like, you know, how do I get a hundred million followers? You know, because I'm, I kind of come from the old school way, you know, I've signed to major labels and it was, you know, just a whole different world, um, you know, 10 years ago when I was signed to, to Sony and Universal, um, it was, it's just a whole different game now. And, you know, the major labels are even, I think, trying to, trying to figure it all out and competing, you know, and going and grabbing these artists. Like this guy that I just told you, this college kid, he's got all these millions of views. And I think he, he just got a big major record deal. They offered him, like, <laughs> so much money. I think he's, like, making $50,000 a month on these streams. And stuff. I'm like, What? You know, back in the day for me, it was the public, like you get a publishing deal and you get offered this big advance and, you know, you get a song placed and, you know, and it's just, it's constantly evolving and um, it's almost like you got to hire a whole team, you know, if, especially if you're not signed to a major label where you, you might have that and you might not, but it's like you have to surround yourself with people who are great and, almost like you need, it's almost like you want to surround yourself with the mathematician to figure out algorithms and figure out like what, what's going to make this happen. You know? Um, I mean, it's, it's very complicated as far as, and I am not a digital person. Like for me, this has been, this has been challenging because I'm, I'm a musician. I'm a singer songwriter. And for me, I've been performing live my whole life. So this is like a whole new game. I'm having to like, you know, like reinvent the wheel here. And like, I'm constantly, you know, uh, talking to my nieces and my nephews and their friends and, you know, like, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? And, you know, showing them some songs and getting ideas from them about things, you know, that we could do to, to just get, to create a little buzz and get, you know, some attention. And so I've been really lucky, you know, having Jill, she's gotten some great reviews. I've talked to some great people, um, you know, and, um, and that, that, that's been great. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're getting into this business to make money, you almost, 
you almost want to have that social media team because, I mean, otherwise, it's all about performing live and selling merch and 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 trying to, you know, put yourself in a position that you can do the kind of shows where, you know, you're going to get you're going to get enough money to, you know, you know that you can get specific types of gigs, you know, uh, weekly and to, to pay your bills and to survive. That was like everything that I'm even doing right now, all these big shows. I just did House of Blues last two weeks ago. I did the Ground Zero Blues Club in Biloxi. Um, two months ago, we sold out. But it's like right now, it's just like everything that's coming in is going right back out on content, on social media, on videos, on promotion. Um, and, it's, you know, because we're, you know, I have... I have the small label now, and it, it did afford me to be able to do the kind of record I want to do. And I had that creative control in the studio, but but you don't have that major that major label money. And so these days, I think really an artist is better off though getting an investor and bringing the investor to a to with you to a small label and. And having major, if you can get distribu- a great distribution deal, but if you can get with a small label that has a distributor and you bring your own investor, it's almost like you're your own, you are your own label within the label almost. You know, I, I told Jonathan the other day, I feel like, you know, this, like, Sarah B is like the vanity label underneath, like under the umbrella of Rabidash because bringing in your, you know, my investor who I've been lucky to have and, and, um, you know, but it's just like it, it never ends. It's just like, okay, now we need another 5000 to do go do this video. Okay, we need, you know, $2,500 to pay the band to go do, do these shows. And so it's almost like a lot of getting going right now in this industry is pay to play. Like, and I, I guess maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's like, you know, getting the money to, to invest in yourself. You know, and I've, I've always done that. I've always betted on myself and, my dad says I'm like the comeback kid and you know, I, I find a way to come back even when I feel like, okay, I've tried that, that didn't work. Um, and it, it's frustrating because the industry is constantly like, you know, it's just constantly changing like, a, you know, a revolving door and you know, the, tomorrow it's going to be something new. And, um, so I just, I'm trying to stay focused on the music, but right now, if you really want to be successful, it's almost like you got to wear all the hats. You got to like be your own manager, your own social media, your, you know, and you got to surround yourself with some really smart people who, um, honestly right now, social media would probably be the most important thing that I would say that could really help you and get to the attention you need more than radio right now. And like, you know, but I come from a time when it was, if your song was getting played on the radio, you were a star and, um, you know, um, what was that? The video killed the radio star. <laughs> now it's like yeah. TikTok's killing the killing the radio and the video stars. So, uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's just you know, I'm I'm lucky to be able to do what I love and 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 make it. Not a you know, I'm I'm surviving and making a living. I'm you know, I'm blessed to be able to to do something that I love to do and make money doing it. Because I know a lot of people who go to their job. And they're and they're miserable, and they don't enjoy what they do. But you know, everybody's got to work, and uh, so I am lucky in in the fact that if I can make a living, at least I'm making you know doing my music. I'm I'm making a living doing something that I love and I enjoy, 
but that's also the the pitfalls of the music business is because we are so passionate about it, you know, that when we do fail and we don't succeed, it hurts, you know, and it's painful and because it's not just our job, it's our it's our passion. It's what we it's what we sleep and breathe and bleed and so, you know, and I think, you know, earlier in the conversation I was talking about and that's where that's where the songs come from that I feel you know, they're not thought out. They're not the songs that are the formula songs that you sit in a room with somebody and, you know, make this amazing um, song that's just structure where it's got the hooks and the bridges and just perfect. I try to do that anyway just because I've been writing for so long, but it's those those songs that come from real a real place that I feel, you know, are the important ones. And uh, there's a lot of those on this on this Hummingbird album, but, but as far as by figuring it out, your guess is as good as mine right now. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of like playing it by ear. Okay. And I'm doing everything possible, like, that I can do. I mean, it's, I'm constantly just thinking of new new things to do. So I bought a, I bought a new keyboard tonight, a little Hammond keyboard where I can get all those Hammond sounds. I'm about to put it on top of my piano and I've got a little light and I'm going to start doing like little videos and, you know, <laughs> posting, posting videos of me live you know, and try to, you know, just more content, just trying to think of new ways, you know, to, to get it out there and, and create a buzz and bring, you know, bring some traffic through to my sites and, and to interviews like this, you know, like as soon as this thing is posted, you know, I'm start sharing it all over my, that's what you do now. You share it and you tag it and you put it on your IG, you put it on your, you know, you make little teasers uh, about it. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm learning every day. You know, I'm it's a it's a learning curve for me right now. Um, you know, because I've been in the industry a while, and it's uh, it's it's all changing. And and um, you know, I wish it, I wish it was just about the talent. I wish it was just about the songs and the music. And I wish that I could tell somebody if you write a great song, it'll make its way. But honestly, I have some friends who have amazing songs that are just sitting in their computer. And if they don't have that kind of drive in today's world and they don't have that kind of wherewithal and experience of being in the industry or knowing people who are, it's sad because, you know, they're, they're, um, they're not, they're not doing what they love to do and because they can't make a living doing it, you know? Right. Um, I know a construction worker right now going to be putting shingles on his roof tomorrow at five and six, you know, six in the morning building people's houses who's got amazing songs, incredible songs. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to help, you know, him right now. I've got several friends who are just amazing songwriters. My friend Coco Robichaux, who passed away about eight years ago. Um, you know, I feel like he, he, he died uh, like a genius. Um, but he was, you know, but he was broke and, and it's sad because, uh, who's to say, you know, how it's going to find its way, uh, what audience, what demographics going to connect. Um, so I just, you know, all I can do is just try to be honest. I will tell you that I think today, in today's market, people want real. People want honest, honesty. They want to feel like they are in your world. So it's almost like the more real you are, I mean, my niece actually told me the other day, she said, you know, I want stretch marks. And I went, what are you talking about? She's like, I want stretch marks on, you know, on my hips. And I went, 
No, you don't want stretch marks on your hip, honey. I've had I've got stretch marks. And she's like, no, it's the new thing. And I'm like, why is it the new thing? Is that because a TikTok video with a girl with stretch marks? She's like, no, it's hot now. Like, if you have stretch marks, everybody thinks it's hot. You're supposed to have stretch marks. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is insane. <laughs> so it's, it's really like people want the real deal in your face now. And so it's almost like the... The grittier you are, um, you know, um, and the ed- more real and honest that you can be, I think the more success you will have. And I think that is what is happening in today's world is these people are, you know, it's not like the reality shows where it's not, you know, I've been on those shows and those are big cameras following you around all day and you've got makeup artists and all that. That is not really reality. The reality is these iPhones, you know, <laughs> everybody's following each other around and then like instantaneously in an instant in five minutes with one little app, you run it through and, you know, you do your little smooth or your edit or whatever. And it, it, it could be in front of millions of people in five minutes. And that is, is why people today are having like this quick success. Um, you know, all of a sudden from doing songs in your dorm to getting, Six, you know, 60 million followers or 100 million followers. It's insane, you know. So I would say um, <laughs> what I what I should have been doing and could have been doing and now I feel like I am doing is finally being, being Sarah B, being myself, you know, coming back home to my roots and doing this record at, at, this, at the time of my life when I did it, when the world was shut down. <laughs> Um, there's something to be said about it because I've been signed to major labels and I've worked with some of the best from Lady Gaga's producers, the Alicia Keys and Amy Winehouse's guys, and they couldn't figure it out. You know, it was it was like they were just trying to make me sound like their like their last big hit. You know, the label was sending me to those guys, but but it seems like when I sit in front of a piano or a guitar and I start doing my thing and it's and it's kind of unedited and more raw. I feel like I'm getting more of a buzz now in my music than I ever than I ever did with the big labels. Yeah, I got the big advances and the money, but it's almost like if you want to make money, then you get somehow it's like a compromise. You have to, in a way, like sell your soul because you're you're taking orders and you're getting some of your creativity in there. I'm not saying that you know a few of them don't get get through um, because they do, but I feel like when you, like I said earlier, when you, when you can find a place and people that believe in you that allow you to, to really be an artist and, um, you know, really be the creator, um, is, is such a blessing. And so I feel like that's where I'm at right now with the hummingbird tea record. And now we've got this new Christmas song that's about to come out. Um, actually I have two versions and I wasn't, it, it wasn't even going to be a Christmas song, but after I finished it, and was listening to it, it just the whole song was all about, you know, bring it coming back home, coming back to New Orleans. I wrote it on the plane, flying back from Miami, actually, and we were in the middle of mixing the record. And, um, and it was about coming home, and I was excited. And I had been away, and I was so excited to get back. And so the song got all these, you know, things about where I'm from and, um, lots of little things in there that are nostalgic and talks about gumbo and red beans and Marsha ball and, um, professor long hair and the Louis Armstrong airport. 
And so when I listened to it back, I, I went in and recorded it um, actually about a month ago. I was on my way to Texas to to film the I'm Closed video because we needed more content. <laughs> Constantly filming. And uh, But anyway, on my way to Texas, I called uh, Russell Batiste, one of the best drummers in the world. He was Harry Connick Jr.'s drummer. He's the drummer on that song. She, that That's the drummer on the beginning of that song. But he played with the meters. and But anyway, I called him, and I was like, hey, meet me at the studio in like an hour. He went, what? Wait, hold on. I said, and bring a bass player. He was like, what? Hold on. I'll call you right back. And then he called me right back, and he's like, okay, I'm going to meet you there in an hour. And I did, I'm bringing my uncle. And so I'm like, who's your uncle? And he's like, Michael Batiste. And I went, oh, cool. I've never heard him. Well, Michael Batiste turns out to be John Batiste's dad. And so he called me the other night, Michael, and I said, hey, did you play? Because <laughs> he was up in D.C. They just played uh, President Biden's state dinner. Oh, uh, John nice. Batiste played it. Um, yeah, he played it Friday. And uh, he called his dad to come and play. So his dad called me and said, I had to go through all this protocol, you know, had to security badges and all this just to go play on stage with my son. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's so cool, though. How cool is that? But anyway, so he's playing the bass on this new song. Russell's on the drums. And uh, and then it just kind of like we we cut it in one take, Richard. It was amazing. We had my still guitar player come and we cut the song in one take. And I feel like. I I just I just loved it so much that when I heard it I just I said it brings people together. I love the 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 real raw vibe of it, and I think I want to stay relevant. <laughs> Here we go back to to uh, the content and all that, and I'm like I want to stay relevant through the holidays before the Mariah Carey takeover. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I love love her, love her Christmas music, but I mean like you know. After Thanksgiving, it's all about holiday music and Christmas music, and so I I wanted to do something to to help Hummingbird Tea stay relevant through the holidays and still be getting you know uh, a buzz. And so um, my idea I changed two lines in the song, and um, there, so there's a line in the original version where it just said, "I know you're going to be waiting on me when I get back to New Orleans," and so I said, "I know you're going to be waiting." waiting for me by that Christmas tree. And then on another line, I said, I know you're going to be lighting that Christmas tree. So it was just one line that I changed and it worked. Not all songs can, can do that. It can work that way, but it did. And so I was like, I called, I, I called Jill and I said, Hey, see if there's a chance that we can still get in with the distributor and get a, Chris, a song out by Christmas before Christmas. And, um, that, you know, as soon as possible. And she's like, yes, we can get it out. And the ninth, <laughs> The ninth is the earliest date, and if you get it in right now, so we literally had to do like all of this work just to get it into the distributor so it could get released. So, anyway, um, yesterday and the day before, we filmed the Chris, the video for it, and we were we were in New Orleans, and it was so much fun. I got on the trolley and was running through Canal Street with all the Christmas lights. And we just got some amazing stuff. We went down to the airport. We went over to. Uh, Trenchman Street, there's a line in the song where it says, uh, I know the trumpet's going to be calling my name down on Frenchman Street. And so I had this idea of walking in the middle of Frenchman Street and my trumpet player at the part where he comes in on that, I wanted him to be like a street musician who kind of comes out from behind the building and he's, he follows me on the street and he starts playing. So I'm really excited about the video. It's going to be coming out. Uh, we'll be finished with it Tuesday. Cool. It sounds great. Yeah, so as soon as, as soon as that's done, I'm going to send it to you. You're going to love it. Yeah.
Now, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. This has been a great uh, conversation with you. It's a real pleasure. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot. Thank for your you. New release. Oh, thank you. This Anytime. has been a great conversation. So nice to meet you. And thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for doing what you're doing and supporting people like me. Anytime. And uh, you guys out there, you know what? Turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> yeah, you're Little boy, own child, sweet man, come to me. Kiss me with your drunken lips, your power sets me free. It was raining down by the water We were falling deep in love I'm on fire, getting hotter Got a fever burning up Yeah, you got me feeling sexy free Never saw it coming, but you sure got me Feeling so young and wild Sugar like a little child Shine on, shine down Shine on me moon child Shine on, shine down Shine on me moon child Shine on me Underneath the sun 
child Sweet might come to me Kiss me with your drunken lips Your power, power sets me free to me right now I need you like I never needed anything else in my life shine on me moon child who can nobody do it like you do oh when you do it baby My 
soul is lost, still nothing gained. So here's your
rock the shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
he was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song. Huh? One song. And it's thorns can be sweet like honey. 
Bill's not in your whiskey. I'll use swear not how you shake your thing. He'll make you not care. Gonna love the hell right out of you. That's what I'm gonna do. So I sat right down with my nitro brew and I gave Father Joe my ear. Well, after about a minute or two, I felt that old devil tremble with fear. Cause the devil lies. The devil boasts, doesn't care if you starve while he carves his ropes. Gonna love the hell right out of you. That's what I'm gonna do. Now that old devil knew Father Joe's gonna do. So he hugged, he puffed, he cried. And Father Joe just brushed him aside. Cause that old devil will manipulate. So you kick him in the butt before it's too late. Gonna love the hell right out of ya. That's what I'm gonna do. was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song huh one song
in my fingers And my heart I just don't quit Passion is my first name But I was so innocent I thought quitting was a weakness But now I know the score I'm laying down my sword I'm not
Let's look. Mark the cards, load the dice. Everybody has got a price. Follow the money. See why it goes. Follow the money. That's all you need to know. Shady business, smell it funky. Follow the money. of a crime Ain't no way that he's doing the time Gave the judge a secret handshake Gold hard cash is all it takes Follow the money See where it goes Follow the money That's all you need to know Looks too good Smells funky Follow the money yeah. Fine looking woman With a fat old man Might be hard To understand He knows what Is going on Be by his side Till it's all gone Follow the money See why it goes Follow the money That's all you need But it won the race Got the whole town on the take They're in his pocket, they're on his side Everybody gets a piece of the pie Follow the money Follow the money Person 
phoning me. I can't have no telephone. All the time you're telephoning me, you should be coming home, baby. Don't call me on the phone. I need you person to person. Bring your fine cell phone home. Yeah. Telephoning me, I can't have no telephone. All the time you're telephoning, you could be You no longer have to hear the blues in a smoke-filled nightclub on the edge of town. It's a pleasant environment, but uh, but in the 21st century, uh, you know, you don't even have to leave the couch. Just turn on the TV and commercials or as theme songs, you will see and hear the blues are everywhere. I'm Elwood.
Thank you. 
Just take one flick, one flick of the switch 